Oh My Stars. The Jewels of the Trade podcast. Encouraging professionals with industry inspiration, gemology, and more. Thank you for listening to part two of the Jewels of the Trade interview featuring Bruce Bridges of Bridges Savorite. In part one, Bruce discussed the exotic history of this vivid green gemstone, its connection to tanzanite, and the story of Savorite's nomenclature. Bruce Bridges is the son of Campbell Bridges, who actually discovered Savorite in the 1960s and left behind an incredible legacy which lives on today in Bridges Savorite and in the Bridges family. Today, Bruce is going to talk about Savorite's rarity, quality factors, and tips for empowering sales staff to sell this incredible gemstone. Bruce, welcome back. Let's pick up right where we left off. Would you say that Savorite is a little lesser known than Emerald because of its rarity? Certainly so. I mean, rarity is a double-edged sword somewhat, right? Because on one hand, for any gemstone, you want it to be rare enough for it to be exotic and something that is sought after, but you don't want it to be so rare that it's unobtainium, right? That you simply can't get a hold of it. Because if you think about a jeweler, a jeweler is all for selling something that's beautiful and rare that his clientele would want. However, if a jeweler sells one stone and another client walks in and says they want another one of those stones, or that same client says, okay, well, now I want a matched earring, pair of earrings, or we want a set of stones in it in order to put a suite together. You want that jeweler to be able to accommodate those clients and, and his clientele should they wish to purchase more of this material. So with that being the case, if your gemstone is too rare, then number one, jewelers aren't really going to want to get behind it because they simply can't replace what they might have. And I mean, you could disappoint your clientele. And if there isn't enough material on the market, you can't market it. Sure. It is an interesting aspect where you want a gem to be rare, but you don't want it to be so rare that you can't get a hold of it. And correct me if I'm wrong, it's not that Savorite is unobtainably rare. I'm under the impression that it's it's not commonly found in larger sizes. Is that correct? Yes, it's certainly not commonly found in larger sizes, but it certainly is rare. So to give you an idea, Savorite is 1,000 to 5,000 times rarer than emerald. Wow! It's 1,000 times rarer than emerald below three carats, 5,000 times rarer than emerald above three carats. That's mind-boggling. Is it really only found in Kenya? In commercial quantities, it's only found in Kenyan Tanzania. There is some Savorite in Madagascar. The color's a little different. It tends to be a little darker. Keep in mind, these are generalizations. But generally, the Savorite material from Madagascar is extremely high in vanadium. So Savorite is colored by... It's, to give you just a, a quick uh, mineralogical score here on exactly what Savorite is. Savorite is a calcium aluminum silicate and it's colored by chromium and vanadium. So chromium and vanadium, which are also the coloring agents in emerald, are what color Savorite. So the material from Madagascar tends to be very, very high in vanadium content and therefore very dark. So the Madagascan material does exist, but 
not much material comes out of Madagascar, less than 80 kilograms a year. And it really of commercial importance is only found in Kenya and Tanzania. And all of your mines currently are in Kenya, is that correct? Yes, all of my mines currently are in Kenya. How many mines do you have? We have five. And how many are there total, do you think? Total, there's a lot of mines because you have to remember, even when I say five, it's not like I have five spread all over the country. I have five locations within a nine square kilometer area. Oh, wow. It's all a contiguous area. So there's five locations in one area, basically. But if you look at where Sovereign is mined, uh, if you look at my father's original mine in Kamalo, Tanzania, which nowadays they call them Shuko, Tanzania, you have mines there and you have many, many mines there. Now, when you ask how many, it's hard to tell because there's how much organized mining is there. Not so much, but there's a great deal of artisanal mining there. So you have people coming and going all the time. So when there's a big strike, you could have, well, I remember at one location close to us in Kenya, you had 2,000 locations in one area. So how many mines are that? Are there there? Well, it's one location, but there's 2,000 different miners in there. (laughs) Sure. So it would be very hard to give you an accurate figure there, but basically... A quick summary would be, if you take my father's original mine in Kamalo, now Lemshuko, Tanzania, you'll have quite a few miners in that original location and dotting that border. And then you'll have our mines in southern Kenya, in the Taita area of southern Kenya. And then you'll have numerous mines basically all around our border. And those numbers change all the time. Official mines, not so many official mines. Then also you're getting into small scale, large scale. And that's a big question mark in mining as well, because I don't consider our mine large scale, even though the Kenyan government now considers our mine large scale. Uh, Large scale mining to me is really what you see in diamond mining and that sort of thing. Even a mine such as what Tanzanite One did in Merilani, Tanzania, which at its zenith was very large for a colored gemstone mine. I wouldn't consider that large scale either. I would say that K-Gems mines in Zambia are probably the closest. Uh, the K-Gem mine, so K-Gem would be our friends at uh, Gemfields. But uh, the Gemfields mines at their K-Gem location in Zambia I would say that's a large-scale mine. As far as colored gemstone mining, that that is certainly large-scale. But if someone were to ask as far as sovereign mining is concerned, I don't consider any sovereign mine in the world large-scale. I know ours is considered large-scale, but if you've been to a lot of mines in your life, you wouldn't think so. Wow, very interesting. I've always been very fascinated with mining, and so it's so interesting to hear just about the diversity in mining all over the world. And, and it sounds like Savarite, it's kind of its own niche and the, and the mines are just very diverse and, and different from, you know, diamond mines and everything else. So that's really incredible. I do also want to discuss just from the shopper's point of view, Savarite quality and quality factors. 
I've come to understand that kind of the saturation of color and the, the brightness of the stone are, of course, factors. And, uh, and the tone of green, I'm pretty sure, can sort of vary from stone to stone. Is Savorite valued more highly when it's more of a bluish green like emerald or when it's more of a yellowish green? That's a very good question. And this goes for any color gemstone. There is no official grading scale for any color gemstone. And I know when people bring up pigeon blood ruby or cornflower blue, sapphire, royal blue, sapphire, etc. And they say, well, that is a certified grading scale. And while some labs nowadays are indeed putting on their certificates that a ruby might be pigeon blood or a sapphire might be royal blue or cornflower blue, you'll see quite a bit of differentiation. If you were to look at different lab reports and you were to look at different rubies and sapphires as to exactly what is considered pigeon blood or royal, et cetera, et cetera. And the same is true for any other color gemstone that I can think of. And in hand goes sovereign as well, right? So for instance, our grading scale, the one my father developed is the most widely used and utilized in the industry. And basically your premium colors will be a medium to medium dark. So a medium, I would correlate to being a vibrant gross green color. Then one color tone difference up in the scale of saturation would be a medium plus in our grading scale. And we would suggest that that is akin to a rich, vibrant gross green. And then your most saturated color within your premium color range would be a medium dark. And a medium dark, we would correlate to a vibrant forest green color. So again, it's not an official scale, but that's the most widely utilized in the industry. And basically anything darker than a medium dark, we consider over dark and therefore you'll have extinction and it won't have full life throughout the stone. Anything lighter than a medium, we would consider less saturated than optimal and uh, therefore not be as richly saturated and as luxurious a green as a premium gem should have. Now, that being said, you'll find that different locations, different areas in the world prefer different colors. And especially nowadays, the lighter colors are quite sought after. They don't command the same prices as those medium, medium plus and medium darks, but there tends to be more of a shift nowadays to lighter colors as far as desirability is concerned because people like light and bright and they also like the price point and material that I find quite amusing when they say that Merilani mint garnet was something that was discovered in like the early 2000s I've heard which is one of the most ridiculous statements that I've ever heard of <laughs> is for any who, who has followed the history of Green Groschler Garnet. And basically, uh, Merlani Mint Garnet is just the name that's been coined in order for marketing purposes, but it's, it's simply light Green Groschler Garnet, right? So it doesn't have as high a chrome. Would you call it Savorite? That's another big question the industry, right? Because Savorite, in theory, has a higher level of chromium vanadium and Savorite in the beginning, the reason nobody saw the lighter material was because we couldn't sell the lighter material. It's sort of like the fancy zoocyte that now people are calling fancy tanzanite. There are other colors of, of tanzanite aside from blue, right? That now 
have quite a big market. And if we go even further back in history and you look at fancy colored diamonds, 50, 60 years ago, you can sell fancy colored diamonds, right? <laughs> right. It was, if it's not a white diamond, it's worthless. <laughs> it's a drill bit. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And I mean, obviously, you've always had collectors, but not as far as uh, commercially viable on a large scale. And the same is true with Sovereign. In the early days, we couldn't sell the lighter material. So we just used to just bag it, which means we just basically throw it in a bag and put it in the back of the vault or the room. And it just stays there <laughs> until we figure out a, <laughs> some commercially option to do with it. I imagine that was the motivation behind marketing it as mint garnet, though I would say is probably somebody just had a whole bunch of it and said, we got to get rid of this. Let's call it mint garnet and <laughs> sell it as a new thing. That's definitely true. On top of that, you have the fact that there is a great deal more mining in Marilani, Tanzania in the 90s after you had Afgem, which then became Tanzanite One, really revolutionized the Tanzanite industry. And they brought, again, I'm cagey about the use of the term large-scale mining, but they certainly brought a professional high-level mining operation to Tanzanite in their development of uh, the Tanzanite market in the 90s. And just interestingly, as an aside, many of the Tanzanite 1 guys, when they left Tanzanite 1, they're gem fields now, right? So many of those same people that were in AFGEM then became Tanzanite One. When they left Tanzanite One, many of those guys uh, are in gem fields. So all of this is interlinked. People that don't know the history might not realize it, but it, it's fascinating. One could write a book just on the accomplishments of what AFGEM did all those years ago and what it branched into over the years. But uh, to take you back on on that and started taking on that tangent. But when a great deal more mining happened and the Tanzanite market really exploded in the 90s, there was a lot more mining in Marilani, Tanzania. And you have to remember that, again, Tanzanite and Savarite are very closely related, not only in chemical composition, but also in geology and locale. So where they're mining a great deal more Tanzanite, they also come across sovereite. However, the sovereite in that area tends to be lighter and therefore a lot more lighter material was coming out. And to answer your question, yeah, they, they were like, oh, we have all this light material. What are we going to do with it? Right. We have to do something with it. And the industry has always dictated that sovereite is a richer color, green groschler garnet. And then this lighter material came out. People didn't accept it as sovereign, that actually were seeing it at the time, even though miners and people who were in the sovereign industry knew that this green material, this lighter, darker, and everything in between always comes out when you mine. We just couldn't sell it. But now there was enough material out there that we had to think and say, well, we need to do something with this. We need to monetize it somehow. Right. So then mint groschler garnet was sort of coined in the industry. And then because a lot of it comes from Marilani, you had Marilani mint garnet because that sounds pretty, right? And then a lot of it was being sold as that material. And people didn't know any better. Like, oh, well, this is brand new material out of, out of Marilani in Tanzania, et cetera. It's like, no, guys, 
this is light green Groschlu garden. <laughs> and I have huge pieces I could show you from the early 1970s. So I have one in my father's collection that's over 25 carats, and the stone was mined in the early 70s. And it, it's something that we just, we just didn't have a market for. And then to go to, back to your question, well, is it sovereign? I mean, is it sovereign? Well, it's a good question. There isn't a test right now that dictates, a scientific test that dictates if a green grushlock garnet has a certain level of chromium and vanadium, does that make it sovereign? Or not. And I mean, in emerald, they certainly have, they certainly test for chromium vanadium. If it's colored by vanadium, they call it green barrel, right? And if it's colored by chromium, it's emerald and it has to have a rich enough saturation. But as far as sovereign is concerned, there's no lab that I'm aware of that tests the chromium vanadium content. And if you send a light colored green grashler garnet into the majority of labs and you get a lab report back, it'll say sovereign. Now, from a sales standpoint, I like to sell it as mint grossular garnet or mint garnet as opposed to sovereign because otherwise it's hard for the consumer to understand the price differential because a more richly saturated, let's say medium color will command a 400% premium on a mint of basically the same size. Well, and, and in my opinion, from the sales standpoint, part of what makes Savorite extremely appealing to the customer is that it's an emerald alternative, that it's rarer and tougher and harder than emerald. And so, you know, if you're trying to sell mint garnet, it wouldn't look like emerald at all. <laughs> exactly. That's very true as well. And I agree with you. And that's why the majority of what I sell still would be sovereign by value. But if you're looking at volume, a lot of designers are looking for a light, bright stone with a pleasing color. So volume-wise, mint garnet sells a great deal. And there's certainly a viable market there for mint grashler garnet now. It doesn't command and never will command the price of a premium quality sovereign. But there's a viable market where 40 years ago, there definitely wasn't. Yeah, I can definitely see that. There is something to be said. I think Savorite commands a very high reputation in this industry. And it's not that mint garnet necessarily diminishes that. It doesn't. But I do think that most industry professionals, they have enough of a connection to Savorite that they're going to want to maintain true to what Savorite is and what Savorite should be. So I'd be really surprised if the definition expanded to include mint garnet as a Savorite. I think if somebody did that, it would probably be <laughs> a sales tactic maybe. <laughs> but mint garnet, I see very playfully in very unique designs, uh, kind of in the same designs that you would see tourmaline in. Whereas Savorite, and this is a, a point I wanted to discuss with you and get your opinion on, Savorite is even seen in bridal jewelry now. I've actually come across multiple people on the internet who have a Savorite engagement ring, which is incredible. And your wife, your beautiful wife, Danielle, she has a Savorite engagement ring. Certainly so. And I mean, that that is funny with my wife, because when I was going to get engaged, my father brought me a tray of gemstones. And he said, well, you can pick anyone you want for your engagement ring. And of course, <laughs> my only option <laughs> were Savorites, right? <laughs> and hers is huge. How big is her Savorite? Hers is uh, about six and a half carats. So it's 
it's quite a nice stone, but it's gorgeous. Thank you. Aside from that, it's just the the color is just extraordinarily rare. Even even for sovereign, uh, one will not find that color. I mean, you could search for ten years and not find that color. So. It is very, very nice, and thank you very much. But Sovereign makes a fantastic engagement ring. I mean, if somebody's looking for a green gemstone, here you have your brightest, most durable, rarest, when compared to emerald, green gemstone that you could buy. And in my opinion, if one loves green and one wants green in an engagement ring, it's by far the, the best green gemstone to serve that purpose, of course, Lane. Oh, absolutely. I think it's the the prettiest. You know, I think it's it's prettier than green sapphire, in my opinion. I've never seen a green sapphire that looks as beautiful as Savorite. What would your advice be to retail sellers who are marketing Savorite for bridal jewelry as far as advising their clients on care to avoid damage? Care to avoid damage. I mean, please keep in mind that no colored gemstone is going to be anywhere close to the durability of a diamond. And even your corundum, even your ruby and sapphire, corundum, so your rubies and sapphires will be a good deal more durable than the rest. But after spinel, I'd put sovereign right up there as far as durability with any other colored gemstone that I can readily think of off the top of my head. So with that being the case, uh, Sovereign is not oiled. It's not treated in any way. There's no irradiation, so it's not going to lose color in sunlight. It's not going to, if you put it in the ultrasonic, vibrosonic cleaner, it's not going to have the oil dissipated out of the gem. It's not going to lose oil after years and years of washing it in a sink. It's just a very durable color gemstone. Please keep in mind, again, everything is relative. So to give you an idea, Savrite's seven and a half on most scale of hardness. So its scratchability is very good as far as color gems are concerned. It's also cubic with no cleavage. So it's not an overly brittle stone and there isn't a cleavage plane that you could accidentally knock that will simply shear the stone in two. That being said, I would suggest that, and every every lady in my family is worn Sovereign for decades as engagement rings, and all of them knock on wood are in good order. And I've sold thousands of stones over the years, many of which were put in engagement rings and haven't had any issues as long as care was taken. And when I say care, as far as cleaning is concerned, you can clean Sovereign with any normal jewelry cleaner, even acidic jewelry cleaners, dish soaps, bar soaps. Any form of cleaning, I know if you were to look at the GMA guidelines of at least going through the FGA, they said don't put garnets in vibrosonic or ultrasonic cleaners, but I can't think of any reason why not to. We've never had an issue. I have one sitting in my office and I do it all the time. I've never had an issue. So personally, I don't think that's, that's a problem. I would suggest though that if one is going to the gym, don't wear your ring at a gym. Don't wear any jewelry at the gym. Anybody who's listening to this, <laughs> let it be known. Do not wear your jewelry at the gym. <laughs> no, cer- certainly not. I mean, obviously, if you have earrings, studs, or, or something that's going to be out of the way in an earring, that should be perfectly fine unless you're at a boxing gym or something. But uh, 
Also, don't wear it when gardening. I have heard of one or two gardening accidents before, and please don't do that. Tragic. That's tragic. (laughs) Also, I would say, and this would go for any jewelry, don't wear it when washing dishes. Surprised how washing dishes can damage or simply dirty jewelry over the years. So, I mean, just basic common sense. You don't want to knock it on gloss countertops or granite countertops or car doors or anything like that. But I mean, for daily wear and tear, as long as some sensibilities are taken into account, I don't foresee any any real issues there. I love that as beautiful as it is, it's still a durable stone. It's still a stone that can be worn every day. And I'm I'm very passionate about garnets in general. I have a 10 karat rhodolite that I wear every day. I would like to have one of each of the garnets and I want to see Savorite gain the recognition that it deserves. I would really love to see uh, salespeople at the retail level feeling very confident talking about it, especially, you know, anyone listening to this podcast. I hope that anyone who has questions will reach out and really get the confidence that they need to sell it. But I'd love to see at the consumer level, I'd love to see recognition for how incredible this stone is. Bruce, what's your advice to salespeople who are wanting to sell Savorite to customers who may have never heard of it before? Well, I think that nowadays, especially in such a consumable society where everything is so readily available, I mean, almost anything you want, you can jump on line right now and get it in a day or two, right? So everything in society has just become so consumable. There's such easy access. I don't know. I mean, I I would suggest to a salesperson to try and sell the exotic. Here you have, if we're looking at intrinsic properties, literally the king of green gemstones. It is, if we take its closest competitor, which would be emerald, it's far brighter than emerald. It's far more durable than emerald. It's exponentially rarer than emerald. It's 100% natural, which is a big thing these days. Everybody wants. There's a huge push towards natural things in everybody's life, whether you're talking bar soaps or you're talking food. Everybody is going back to, to nature, basically, because we've gotten so used to just a processed world. And again, it's 100% natural, not that many gemstones can say that that there's no treatment whatsoever for this gem. On top of that, if somebody likes green, it's the purest green. It has the least amount of yellow and the least amount of blue um, when compared to other green gemstones out of anything out there. So if somebody truly loves green, it's the purest green. And it's only found in Two countries in commercial quantities in the world, it's unique to East Africa, that being Kenya and Tanzania in commercial quantities, as opposed to a gem like emerald that's found in over 30 countries throughout the world. So if you're looking at brilliance, if you're looking at durability, if you're looking at rarity, and if you're looking at a natural gemstone, as far as green gems are concerned, there's nothing even close. On top of that, Currently, it's a fifth to the tenth the cost of an equivalent quality emerald. Not that the emerald would ever be as bright, rare, or durable. Wow. With that being the case, if you're a salesperson, I think you have just a myriad of fantastic reasons why you could talk to a client about Sovereign being 
a vastly better choice than any other green gemstone that you could possibly be selling. Wonderful. How can retailers reach you, Bruce? How can they buy from you? And where can people learn more about this exotic African gemstone? Sure. So simply please shoot me an email. I'm brucebridges at sovereight.com. You can certainly call me as well. And uh, on top of that, as far as information is concerned, we have our website that we're completely revamping that'll be up in the next month, which is Sovereight.com. So on there, you'll find the history of Sovereight. You'll find some just unbelievable photos of some of the finest Sovereights on earth. I think you'll just find it a very interesting adventure and journey into the world of Sovereign. And again, that website, which is just Sovereign.com, will be the new version will be up in about a month. If you come to any of the gem shows, we're of course exhibiting booth 1022 at the upcoming uh, Tucson Gem Fair, which starts February 1st. We'll be in Las Vegas as well. And uh, Denver after that. So there's quite a few ways to get in touch. Well, to everyone listening, I hope you make a point to come see Bruce and his wife, Danielle, at their booth at the shows. Definitely reach out to him. I reached out to him and he was super approachable. (laughs) I just sent him an email and was like, hey, I want to do a podcast. So I can attest to the fact that he is very polite and welcoming and will answer any questions that you have. So if anybody has questions about how to get in contact with Bruce, you can definitely reach out to me or as he said, reach out to him directly. But let's get some Savorite in your store. Let's educate customers on why Savorite is a phenomenal choice for a green gemstone. And let's make sure that your staff feels confident and comfortable talking about this exotic and rare gem. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. And we are excited to see you in Tucson. Well, thank you very much for having me. It will be lovely to see you again in Tucson, which everybody a very happy new year coming up with all the best for 2022. For everyone listening, you can catch the full one hour interview on the Jewels of the Trade YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss next week's episode about Justin Jade, a jade diver in Big Sur, California.